0: turn again to Acts chapter 4 and we're using Acts chapter 4 to think about the implications of Christmas. Obviously Acts chapter 4 doesn't record record the birth of our Lord, but it tells us about the implications of why he came and what he ca- he came to accomplish. And so we want to continue looking at that this morning as we worship our Lord and celebrate Christmas this year. Uh, Most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with Charles Schultz. Um, For years, he drew the cartoon and wrote the cartoon Peanuts with Charlie Brown and and Lucy and uh, Linus and various other characters. And most of us are probably familiar with the scenario that often took place in that cartoon uh, between Charlie Brown and Lucy, where um, Lucy would hold a football and be kneeling down and probably got the football and uh, would um, supposedly be holding the football for Charlie Brown to run up and kick it. Well, after several times of being disappointed with her, at the last minute, ripping it out of uh, his way and causing him to fall flat on his back, uh, she once again appeals to him and says, come on, Charlie Brown, I'm going to hold this and you come and kick it. And he says, oh, no. What kind of fool do you think I am? You know, I'm not going to do that again. He says, "She says, look, look, let's shake on it." And so they shake on it, and he begins walking back away from the uh, football and Lucy, and says, "Well, you know what? You know, I gotta trust that she means what she says. You know, somebody shakes on something. You know, you gotta trust them." And so he moves way back, and then he runs as hard as he can toward. Uh, Lucy, who's kneeling down and she's holding the football like this with one finger waiting for him to kick it. And he gets there and he swings his leg as hard as he can to kick that football. And at the very last minute, she grabs the football and yanks it again out of the way so that he falls flat on his back. And she gets up and she looks down at him and says, you know, a woman's handshake is not legally binding. The interesting thing about that story is not so much the issue of whether or not a woman's handshake is legally binding or not but the the issue is he's painting a picture of constant and repeated disappointment. He thinks he's going to finally get to kick this football and at the last minute it's ripped out from under him or away from him and he falls flat on his back screaming in pain. Well, there's a biography of Charles Schultz that was uh, written in which uh, you find out that he had a, a life that wasn't easy in various ways, had a lot of pain and suffering. Uh, he, had, he went through a divorce. Uh, he wasn't close to his five children that he had, and he virtually immersed himself in the comic strip. And what you see in the comic strip is somehow reflecting his own experience in his life. And it's, um, it's sort of along the lines of someone who said, uh, Schultz's deathbed was to him, obviously at the end of his life, a pumpkin patch in the day after Halloween, haunted only by disappointment, and a being who never showed up. If you remember the the great pumpkin You know, he waits for the great pumpkin, and the great pumpkin never shows up. And so uh, the writer of this biography is reflecting on the fact that for Charles Schultz, uh, God was the great pumpkin who never showed up. Someone mentioned the fleeting joys and mammoth disappointments are all there, meaning in his cartoon, fleeting joys and mammoth disappointments. One of the last things that Charles Schultz said was, ironically, you know that poor kid, he never even got to kick the football. What a dirty trick. He never had a chance to kick the football. That picture was very meaningful to Charles Schultz. Obviously, he referenced it not long before he died, as in some sense a picture of his own life that was so very, very disappointing in so many ways. And the reality is, that's not just the life of Charles Schultz. That's the life of every person in a fallen world. There are fleeting joys and, and mammoth um, disappointments in a fallen world. But that doesn't mean there isn't any joy to be had at all. The connection is between the joy we're looking for and the world we're in. If we make that the focus, then obviously we're going to be continually disappointed and not be able to find any joy. There has to be something else that our joy is tied to. And Brian um, actually read the passage that Charles Schultz, when he did his uh, Charlie Brown Christmas argued and fought for including I guess is it Linus that reads Luke chapter 2 and reads that passage that Brian refers to about do not be afraid for I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all the people for in the city of David there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord And if you watch the Charlie Brown Christmas you see the issue with the the terrible Christmas tree that he finds, and they think Charlie has ruined Christmas, and he feels like he's ruined Christmas. And then you have the reading of Luke 2, and you find out where the real joy in Christmas comes from. It comes from the gift of a Savior into a fallen world that can never satisfy. Jesus is that gift that is meant to bring us joy. And so I want to kind of tie this together for us as we um, look one more time before Christmas at the celebration that we are meant to have. So let me read for us again, verses 37 through 41 of Acts chapter 2. It says, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. These are the Jewish people on Pentecost in Jerusalem And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? They've heard that they are guilty of crucifying Christ, their Lord and their Messiah. In verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So we've been talking about the fact that Second Corinthians 9.15 says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Why? Is the gift of Jesus, the incarnate Son, God becoming a man in the person of Jesus. Why is that an indescribable gift? Because it addresses the three things that Peter mentions here. He mentions in verse 38 the forgiveness of your sins. Those sins aren't excusable sins that God can just easily overlook. Those are inexcusable sins that require a punishment. That's why Jesus came, to take the punishment in our place. You also see where he references if we trust in Christ, we not only receive the forgiveness of our sins, but we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In a a fallen world, we find ourselves in impossible situations where it's impossible to trust God as we should and to love like we should. And we continually fall short of the glory of God. We continually fail to trust and fail to love as we should. And yet, Jesus came so that we might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and be enabled to trust him in every situation and to love in every situation. Then finally, uh, we find in verse 39, he speaks, "...for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off." The promise is the the fact that in the gift of Jesus, we not only have the gift for inexcusable sins and impossible situations, but also we have the gift that we need for inconsolable souls. Now what does it mean to be inconsolable? It means to be unable to be comforted. An extension of that means to, to be unable to be truly satisfied and made fully and forever happy. In this world there is nothing... That will console us in that way. There's nothing or no one in this world that's going to fully and forever satisfy us. And therefore we have this longing for something that will truly satisfy us and make us truly joyful, truly happy, truly at peace. And will not end, but will be something that lasts forever And so we celebrate at Christmas the joy to the world, and that's what it means. It means that all those things are answered in Jesus. Our inexcusable sins, our impossible situations, and our inconsolable soul is given what it needs to be truly, fully, forever happy. And that's what I want to focus on today. Um, The question is, what is the promise? And the promise, he mentions, The word promise there means a commitment to give or do something. And it's connected to the idea of the exhortation in verse 40 when he says, Be saved from this perverse generation. We're saved from something and to something. We're saved from that which will never satisfy to something that will satisfy. The promise is very much about the issue of longing. Just recently we we watched for the first time a Christmas story movie. Uh, There are some things about that movie I don't like. Um, But if you look, you can see where a lot of people think it's the greatest Christmas movie or holiday movie of all time. Which I'm kind of surprised at that, but that's the way a lot of people feel. But what's interesting to me that relates to what we're talking about here is that the story focuses on a little nine-year-old boy who narrates the story about this one Christmas when he's nine where he longs for a BB gun, a Red Ryder BB gun, and he hints at his parents and he writes a long essay to his teacher and he appeals to Santa in the mall uh, trying desperately to get this Red Ryder BB gun. The story ends with him having it. His father graciously gives it to him, and he says that was the greatest Christmas ever. Well, hopefully, um, like C.S. Lewis said, we don't settle for a Red Ryder BB gun as the greatest Christmas gift ever, because that will never satisfy your soul. Nothing material, nothing even in terms of human sinful people is ever going to satisfy your soul. But the movie illustrates the fact that regardless of whether we make the right choice or find the the right answer to our longing, we all long for that which we think will satisfy our souls. And we actually see that in the Christmas story. Uh, Why would the Magi travel all the way that they did, and get to Jerusalem and say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? It's because in that day and time, they look forward to the arrival of a king like we look forward to, or some people look forward to, the arrival of a new president, if you voted for him, I guess. kind of depends on what side you're on. But we place in kings and presidents and leaders great hope great hope for peace and for joy and for security and for provision and all those things. And so that's what they look forward to when they talked about the arrival of a new King and especially the Messianic king who was promised in the Old Testament. That's why you've got Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist, who worships the Lord, and he says, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Or Simeon, who meets... Um, Mary and Joseph with the baby Jesus in the temple area. And it says of him, he was a man in Jerusalem uh, who was looking for the consolation of Israel. The consoling of Israel. What does that mean? That means the happiness and joy and prosperity that was promised to Israel in a savior. And then you see Anna in that same scene, a prophetess. Who never left the temple, serving nine and day with fastings and prayers. And she continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. What do you think she was praying for nine and day? The redemption of Jerusalem. The consolation of Israel. Looking for and longing for the king who would make everything right. The king who would satisfy their longings for joy and peace and true prosperity. C.S. Lewis talked about that same kind of thing when he talks about joy as a stab of inconsolable longing, that we begin to see that there's joy in something outside of this world. Um, Tolkien described it this way. He said, we know that there are must be a world in which people eat because we get hungry. He says the fact that we are hungry means there must be a place where people eat. And what he was talking about was the picture of the fact that we long for something that this world can't satisfy must point to the fact that there is something that satisfies. It's just not in this world. C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself a desire, you could say even a longing, which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And that's what Christmas truly is all about. And yet the disappointments we find in this life are meant to remind us of the fact that this world will never satisfy and so you've got people like Robin Williams, who uh, said he believed in an afterlife, but he said, you talk to people who have, who've had those experiences of seeing a light at the end of a tunnel, that kind of uh, near-death experience, he says, you talk to people who've had those experiences, and it's always a white tunnel, and you realize, what if it's New York's Holland Tunnel, and you're just going to Brooklyn? You know what he means by that? What if the light they're seeing that we interpret as something really great and wonderful and satisfying is really a mammoth disappointment? It's just Brooklyn. It's not heaven. It's not what we really long for. And yet, in a disappointing world, we often sing about that which we long for. If you think about the Negro spirituals, Swing low, sweet chariot, uh, songs like that. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? Coming for to carry me home, a band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. Sometimes I'm up, and sometimes I'm down, but still my soul feels heaven-bound. So uh, under those terrible circumstances, as slaves... They sang about heaven. They longed for heaven, and it was their very slavery and, and suffering in this world that fueled even more that longing for heaven. One of the reasons why um, we like southern gospel music in our family, um, there's a number of reasons why, but one is that they often sing about heaven. And one of these songs is uh, Sweet Beulah Land. Beulah is a, a reference to heaven that's found in the Old Testament, Says I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. No sad goodbyes will be there be spoken for time won't matter any more. Beulah Land, I'm longing for you, and some day on thee I'll stand. There my home shall be eternal. Beulah Land, sweet Beulah Land. Says I'm looking now just across the river to where my faith shall end in sight. There's just a few more days to labor then I will take my heavenly flight. Charles Wesley, in the 1700s, looked around him and saw homelessness. He saw orphans. He saw a lot of unrighteousness and suffering in so many ways. And he wrote the song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And if you read that song, it's about Christmas and about heaven. Because there's a great connection between Christmas, the first coming, and the second coming, which is all about ushering in heaven on earth. So he says, Come thou long-expected Jesus born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation. That's where we get the consolation for our inconsolable souls. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth Thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart, born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone, by thine all sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Someone has said the last desire of the first verse, dear desire or longing of every nation, joy of every longing heart, was probably inspired by what Blaise Pascal said when he said, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person that cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator. Joy to the world, the song that I've referenced already, speaks of the idea of no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, for as the curse is found. What does that mean? He comes to rid the world of the curse that it's under, that happened because of the fall of Adam and Eve's rebellion, and he comes to deliver us from the curse of sin that's on this world. And the very passage that we read in Isaiah 9 in our Advent reading um, shows us how uh, this is very clearly talked about in the story of Christmas in terms of a prophecy when it says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great, great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. It speaks of increasing their gladness. They will be glad in your presence It speaks of breaking the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, breaking the rod of the oppressor. Why? For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. One of the real things that robs us of joy is hopelessness. We don't have a hope beyond this life and beyond what we see in this life. There was an experiment that was um, done one time on rats. And there were two sets of rats with two uh, separate tubs of water. And they put these rats in those different tubs of water. And with one tub of rats, they just left the rats alone. And in about an hour or so, they all drowned. The other tub of rats, they pulled them out every so often before they drowned. And those rats lasted 24 hours. Why did this set of rats last 24 times as long as this set of rats? This set of rats, they said, had some hope. That if they just, you know, did this long enough, uh, somebody might pull them out and rescue them. And it's just a, a small illustration of the fact that what keeps people going is hope. You lose hope, then you feel like there's nothing to live for. And when it talks about the darkness in which a light came, that's the kind of darkness it's talking about, a hopelessness. And Jesus came to give us the hope of something better, so very, very much better. Christmas is about what God has done to satisfy our longings for something better. That's why Uh, C.S. Lewis talks at the end of his last book in the Narnia series about, you know, school coming to an end and the holidays, summer being there, or he talks about uh, things happening that were too beautiful and wonderful for him to write about. He says they lived happily ever after. That's the only uh, case in which that term or that phrase really applies is in the, the Christian gospel sense. Um, He talks about the fact that our lives are like uh, a book that is only the title, uh, page, and cover and that the real story is the story of eternity, the story of being with God forever and ever, a story in which um, the story goes on forever and every chapter is better than the one before. So it's a a fully... Joyful experience that even gets better and never ends, which is what we're all longing for. We're longing for joy and happiness and peace and all that that means that will never come to an end. And it's very much related to what it's talking about in Acts chapter two. In this sense, he says in verse thirty-nine, "For the promises for you." Now, the immediate reference there is to the promise of the Holy Spirit, because back up in verse thirty-three. He said, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. So the immediate reference is a promise of the Holy Spirit. That is for all those who will receive Jesus. But what is the Holy Spirit in a sense? He is a down payment on what is to come. It says that in Ephesians chapter 1. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So what is Paul saying there? When you receive Jesus by grace through faith, you receive the Holy Spirit, and you received all that the Holy Spirit is in a sense a down payment for which is an inheritance. That inheritance is seen in Romans 4, where it says, for the promise to Abraham and to his descendants would be that he would be the heir of the world. It wasn't just the land of Israel. It wasn't just that tiny little piece of sliver of land uh, in that part of the world. It was the whole world that God was promising to Abraham and to all those who have the faith of Abraham. It says in 2 Peter 3, But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth. And then in 1 John 2, it says, This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. God, uh, in the person of Jesus, defined that as, The gospel of the kingdom, or the good news of the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. When we think about heaven, some people see heaven as a manipulation of the masses, like Karl Marx. It's just a way to control people and make them behave. Uh, Some see it as material pleasure and prosperity here on earth. Well, you know, if I get to vacation in some place, or if I have this house or this car, that's, quote, heaven. For some people, it's release from suffering or desire, so that you become one with the universe in some sense. And that's the way it is for Hinduism and Buddhism uh, of various flavors. For some, it can be just reunion with loved ones. That can be the case for Confucians or uh, nominal Christians in the South. It's all about going to be where, wherever Uncle Joe and Aunt Billy are. Um, It can be um, self-realization. I become God, which is part of the New Age perspective or Scientology or other views like that. For some, for those like Islam or maybe the man on the street, it's just uh, heightened earthly sensual pleasures. It's what we experience now, but it's just kind of ramped up um, in various ways. But in Christianity, Heaven is paradise in the presence of God. It is truly paradise. But what makes it paradise is not trees and flowers and sensual pleasures. It's face-to-face fellowship with the God who created us. And that's why Jonathan Edwards could say the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied to go to heaven fully to enjoy. God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives or children or the company of earthly friends are but shadows. But God is the substance. These are but scattered beams. But God is the sun. These are but streams. But God is the ocean. And Jonathan Edwards talks about heaven. He says in heaven, we will be continually learning. We'll be increasing in knowledge. And he says as we increase in knowledge, we'll actually get holier. And then as we get holier, we'll actually see more of God's excellence. And as we see more of God's excellence, we will actually love him more. And as we love him more, we'll have more happiness in God. And he argues that it's something that increases. Not only, it's sort of like um, being full to the top, and yet your cup is growing, So that the fullness grows, even though you're as happy as you can be. And he says this, In heaven, thus they will love and reign in love, and in that godlike joy that is its blessed fruit, such as eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has ever entered into the heart of man in this world to conceive. And thus in the full sunlight of the throne, enraptured with joys that are forever increasing, and yet forever full, They shall live and reign with God in Christ forever and forever. And so when we think about um, what Christmas is all about, it's about um, the gift of Jesus. And within the gift of Jesus is the gift of forgiveness. The gift of forgiveness opens the door to the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit opens the door to the gift of the kingdom of heaven. The opening of the door to the kingdom of heaven opens the door to our full and lasting joy in God forever. And that's why we sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Because in Jesus we have the satisfaction, the fulfillment, the answer to every ultimate problem that we have and John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Which means that you can receive him or not. That all that we've talked about in terms of what God intends for us to receive in terms of joy requires us to receive Jesus. To receive the joy to the world that God has provided requires that we receive Jesus. And in order to do that, we have to see our sin as something that is evil and deserves God's just punishment in hell. And we have to turn to God for mercy. And we have to trust Jesus, receive Jesus, embrace Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. And as we receive him, we receive all that he came to accomplish and all that he came to give, which is the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the promise of eternal life in the kingdom to come. There's an illustration I've used before where, and I'll just try to make this short and wrap up. Remember the story I've told before of a man and his son that loved to collect art. and They were very wealthy wealthy, so they could collect really good pieces of art, whether it was Picasso's or Raphael's or whatever it might be. And his son goes into war, and he dies in the war. But he dies rescuing uh, another soldier. And the soldier that he rescued paints a picture of this son and eventually gives it to this father who is grieving his son. And one day this father dies, and they auction off all these great and... um, Um, expensive paintings and the very first painting that is up for auction is the picture of the son that the soldier who was saved by the son had painted and given to the father and nobody there wants that picture except there was the gardener of the father and his son who said i'll i don't have a lot of money but i'll 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 pay ten dollars for it that's all i can pay the auctioneer says anybody else anybody else want to bid on this painting this picture of the father's son and nobody else would take it they said we want to get on to the really good stuff and so the auctioneer said sold to the gardener auction over and he explained it when they all enraged said what do you mean we're here to bid on the other paintings he said well there was a stipulation in the will and i didn't Uh, know it until I got here today and I couldn't share it with you until after the painting of the sun had been sold but in the will it says only the painting of the sun would be auctioned whoever bought that painting would inherit the entire estate including the paintings the man who took the sun gets everything that is a great illustration of what it says in first john 5 If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's what is meant when the angel said, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy which will be for all the people For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Have you received that joy? Have you received Jesus? Are you rejoicing in him this Christmas? We have much, much to rejoice over. Let's pray. Father, do you pray that you would help us all to receive the gift of your Son, And to receive the promised joy that's in your son and only in your son. And help us this Christmas, however this, how hard this year may have been for us, however, how tempted we are to fear and to despair. Help us to rejoice in the gift of your son in light of all that that gift means to us. Help us even now as we sing and as we prepare for the Lord's Supper to celebrate what you've done for us. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.